Hello, great listeners. Before we begin this episode, we wanted to let you know that we recently had the opportunity to interview Maurice Harker, the founder of Life Changing Services, and he was kind enough to spend about an hour with us. And so because we try to keep our episodes to about 30 minutes, we decided to break the interview up into two different episodes. So what you'll hear next is the first part of the interview, and I will be back at the end to wrap things up, and then you'll get to hear from Maurice next week in our next episode as well. So enjoy the first half of the interview, beginning right about now. How often do you get to hear from the expert himself? Maurice Harker is here to share a lot of wisdom with us as fathers as to how we can best help our families, whether it be with addiction recovery or whatever it is. There's a lot of good stuff coming up on the Fathers Who Fight podcast. Welcome to episode 28 of the Fathers Who Fight podcast. This is Rob, and Lloyd is with me as always. Hey, Lloyd. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing better now. Better now that I'm (laughs) done with work. (laughs) It was a rough day, but I'm happy to to be here doing this. Doing this with you and uh, our special guest, whom we'll introduce here in a second. But just as a reminder, we are fathers banding together to strengthen one another in following Jesus Christ and resisting the enemy of our souls by living eternal warrior principles. And as we teased last week, our guest this week is the the man himself who created the life-changing services. This is Maurice Harker. Maurice, thanks for being with us. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much, brethren, for inviting me. I get to hear so much about the good work you do in serving the fathers and others who listen in. Um, it's a tre- treat and a treasure to be here. Thank you, well, brethren. Thanks. Man, now I'm blushing. and you should (laughs) we know you're a busy man but we really appreciate your being with us and we i i know you've uh, i've heard in the past uh just barely you mentioned how the uh the principles of of life-changing services that we teach how that kind of came from your desire at self-improvement and I was wondering mm-hmm. if you'd start off just by telling us a little bit more about that and, and how long that process took, you know, what, what sure. it all entailed. Sure. Um, thank you. Um, so um, it actually started, uh, um, I, they sent me as a missionary into inner city Detroit, Michigan, and I was enthusiastic. I was hopeful. I had the experience of having a decent impact on many things I had tried before, but I was feeling really powerless and struggling to have any confidence I was having an influence on people there. And it was capped off with an experience after several months, finally um, having an investigator, kind of an investigator, who said, "Um, Elder Harker, can you explain what this stuff has to do with reality? And... I responded with, I have no idea, because <laughs> um, uh, having been raised in this culture, um, I had accidentally experienced a significant um, 
uh, two world experience, like your religious world and your real world. And there wasn't a lot of um, bridging of the principles for me at that age. Like his, this is this principle applies to your real life in this way. This principle applies to real life in this way. And so, um, dealing with some of some substantial real life issues. Um, um, I was shocked. Um, I dedicated the rest of my two years to finding answers to that question for the people that I met, like, let's find some real-life application. But then when I got home, I just kind of let that float away because it didn't seem to matter again until I started trying to be a real person. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think I will try to have real connections with real people, especially the opposite sex. And I had some really sad stories of failure as I tried to build quality relationships and a lot of them had to do with self-mastery issues of my own and some catastrophes there and had some real humbling experiences that were kind of scary like if I don't figure this out I'm going to be a train wreck for years to come and so I remembered that phrase um, real life principles can be found in gospel doctrine I'd started studying psychology and found myself a little disappointed with what I learned there. And so I had this world of spiritual principles that I couldn't figure out how to connect to science of behavior. And then I had this psychology academic world that didn't quite take into consideration spiritual things. So I kept like a zipper bouncing back and forth between the two worlds, trying to find a connection between them. And then the principles started to flow. Like take, for instance, lesson number one, um, um, as I was doing tons of self-awareness and then over time I started realizing I'm not that unique. Most people are having the same patterns of struggle that I'm having. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things I was noticing is I only misbehave when I forget what I had committed to. When I forget the plan I had made, when I forget that I had made a promise, when I forget that this was important to me. So there's different versions of forgetting and I'm rocking back and forth on my bench in church trying to figure out an answer to this. And I hear this really weird voice say that they do always remember him. <laughs> and I'm all, wait a minute, was that an angel? No, it was some priest <laughs> across the bed <laughs> that they do always remember. And I'm all, wait a minute. And I opened up that, um, that scripture or that holds the sacrament prayers and like four times, six times, eight times, I didn't count them, the numbers of them, that they do always remember, that they were the, the, that they might always remember and have a spirit, da, da, da. and then I'm all, wait a minute, I remember a scripture in the New Testament from a missionary days, the Holy Ghost brings all things to remembrance. Hmm. And then I got out my computer, because back then we didn't have smartphones when I first started doing this, and I had a little computer disc with all the, the scriptures on it, and I typed in the word remember, and it came up all over the place. Then I pulled up my database of the conference talks, and the word remember came up all over the place. And and then who knew that Satan would want you to forget things? And so um, that first lesson was about a two-year project. Wow. Wow. Of analyzing and studying and, and researching. And then we found out how chemicals are involved in the brain, and it distorts the memory process and causes you to forget things that matter. And so it's not, at first it was just the concept of remembering versus forgetting. And then as we understood Satan's involvement in brain chemistry shifts and finding out, oh my gosh, this is like complex military strategy to get people to forget their value systems and to walk away from what they had committed to just a day before or three days before. And so when you think about the 
process that's behind these principles, um, I've written them in a way that it looks like it's understandable to an eighth grader. <laughs> but don't, someone asked me like, well, that's not even real science, Amal. I've dumbed it down so the average person like myself can understand it. But there's years of work behind all of these lessons. Right. And if people spend more time with you, they they get to, <laughs> they get to hear get the, <laughs> how complex it can be, right? <laughs> my my my, because I'm such a, a playful personality too. It's really hard to allow for the possibility I might actually be a serious scientist hiding beneath <laughs> this goofy atmosphere. Why can you? How can you take him seriously? <laughs> He's just he just goofs off. And so, if we want to talk, let's let's blend this into one of our goals for today's conversation. Um, uh, fathers trying to be good stewards to their sons, fathers trying to be good men themselves, um, creating reminder systems for yourself, discovering the strategies Satan uses to get you to forget things, even something as simple for a man, adult man, who has a tendency to forget the things his wife asks him to pick up from the store. This might seem like something Satan would get, wouldn't get involved in, but every man knows there's multiple unpleasant things that happen when he just forgets to buy milk. <laughs> or okay? even go to the store. <laughs> or even go to the store, you know, things like that. Because, you know, um, if you spend time interviewing women, a man who makes a special effort to remember a small thing like buying milk or, you know, getting the cottage cheese, it's a pretty big deal for them. They feel very loved. Um, and they feel like unloved if you don't remember. And then the unpleasantness of my wife being less cuddly and less proud of me when I tell her I forgot something. So we feel this um, distancing of shame and, and stupidity as we pull away. And then that creates this little mini cycle of unpleasantness, which decreases the contact between husband and wife, which makes them less available to their children. So even strategizing ways to remember to make sure you don't forget to get the milk is actually very powerful for improving a household dynamic. I know in my life, I, I don't even know how I used to go shopping at the grocery store without a cell phone. <laughs> I did it for years, but I can't do it now. It's like when it's this situation we're talking about, it's like, text me, give me a list so I can get it right. <laughs> mm hmm, mm -hmm. Well, part of winning that battle is some people make the mistake of thinking that you just need to carry the weight of such skills on your own shoulders. But in military, we get catapults, we get um, tanks, we get guns. Using modern day tools to help you remember things is completely allowed. And so using a cell phone with texting to help you remember things. We've created a shared, there's an app for grocery lists that a person can add to live and it updates live on my phone while I'm at the store. And then I can check them off as I pick them up and she can see that and she's comforted that I found them. And so, <laughs> um, so that's the kind of thing that is, but, but that's just a, an example of a, a, a strategic remembering weapon. Mm -hmm. Instead of it just being, I want to avoid embarrassment with my wife, I want to create a dynamic where my wife feels like her needs are met and like I'm heroic to her, like, yay, he got the milk, what a hero. Okay, I, I don't know how that works in a girl's head, but for some reason that's heroic <laughs> to bring milk home, especially when the kids need it for a cereal in the morning. So if we bring this into addiction recovery or self-mastery, um, 
if you think about people who don't follow through on reading their scriptures for their for their manpower stuff that we might talk about later, or they um, uh, forget to leave their phone outside the bathroom, or they um, forget to uh, keep their voice in an edifying tone while dealing with their children, um, strategizing ways to remember your techniques, remember your tools, remember the importance of it to you. Um, uh, every time a father does that, he becomes a better resource to his sons. And then he can say, when I am dealing with something that is hard for me to remember, here's a tool I use. Because too many times fathers try to sound like the best way I can be an example to my kids is to not show them I have weaknesses. But I know Lloyd from the time I spent with him, he's been very humble with his sons and has been able to tell stories of, I used to not be good at this, here's what I've worked to implement, and now I've got more skills in that area. That is more useful to children than a parent who says, I've always been good at this, or implies they've always been good at it. Yeah, yeah, it, it goes across to them a lot better, too, to say, you know, this is where I've been stupid, and this is how I'm overcoming it. Yeah, so with... Uh with as much time as that took, you said just that one, that one principle to figure out how, how long has it taken you to, you know, to, how long did it take you to come up with the others? And, and do you, is it still kind of being refined or is it pretty, pretty solid? Well, the, the Sons of Eden program was created uh, when I was 33 years old. Um, I, um, wow. In two years that next year that'll be 20 years <laughs> okay we don't that wow okay um <laughs> but um <clears throat> that is a shock to me i hadn't thought about that but um but um i was frustrated i i finished my bachelor's degree pretty fast after my mission and then i had a eight-year gap i met my wife and married right after my bachelor's degree and we got derailed from my career because of her mother's illness. We chose to walk away from my career to go help with the family business for several years. And then several other things got in the way. And so I didn't start graduate school until my late 20s. Um, but during that time, I was still like sucking up psychology and principles. Uh, I started averaging at least one general conference talk per day. Um, by the time they put them on cassettes, which was shortly after my mission and getting home mm -hmm. in 1990. Um, What's a cassette? And <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's more modern than an eight track, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's sad? Each of us here remember those. <laughs> oh, I still have them on my bookshelf just for uh, just to show the teenagers. But um, it quickly went to CDs. CDs were coming into um, existence in the early 90s, but by 95 we had MP3s, etc. And so um, using uh, just basically um, downloads of the conference talks, uh, now it's all on an app and it goes back to 1971. And then I've actually learned recently that they have written versions of the talks in certain databases all the way back to the uh, 50s and 40s and stuff like that. And so, um, so the combination of studying um, the science of psychology at the same time studying the gospel allowed for the principles to start to surface. So the core principles were written into a small handbook in May of 2005. Um, and then we just lived off of this 12-page booklet until 
about three years, maybe four years later, um, we wrote up the um, Like Dragons book for the first time and tried to put it all into a book form, and then we revised it about four years later to broaden the original Like Dragons book was written only for teenage boys who had sexual addictions. And there were so many people who wanted us to expand the principles to both sexes, all ages, and self-mastery issues in general. And that's when Eternal Warriors was getting started also, because they says there's a lot of people who are studying the original Like Dragons book, and I had 50-year-old women telling me, this really helps me with my chocolate work. And um, <laughs> then I had 22-year-old addicts who says, it doesn't relate to me because it's for teenagers. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you, you you can't see how this applies and so with the encouragement of several people we um opened it up to um those who just wanted self-mastery training and and i just met with a woman today for the first time who's been studying the material for quite some time and she needed some therapy level interventions and she said these principles have made a huge difference in my life for a long time because it's the most bizarre combination of accurate science cutting-edge science with gospel spiritual principles hmm. but if you think about it psych though the the prefix psych um, in its original form was the spirit and ology is the study of so my profession was supposed to be the study of the spirit the whole time <laughs> but someone along the way decided to um, uh, squeeze out the spiritual side of things Plain and precious t truths were taken out of psychology. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm s sad to say. I think it's amazing that um, in my mind, the general conference, places like that, we hear the why, and um, sometimes we hear the what, but you with the science and everything that you figured out help me figure out the how mm. so i can apply the principles that i hear over the pulpit and to me that's been such a huge blessing in my life to to understand and be successful not just here and wonder how do i live that I appreciate that reference because it reminds me of a whole other branch of the psychology behind the work. Um, <clears throat> I love the war themes. You can tell by the name of our programs that we're really anchored into the war elements of the Book of Mormon, Sons of Helaman, Men of Moroni, Eternal Warriors. Um, as I was uh, doing some identity formation for myself, like who am I and what role do I play in the community? Um, like most people who imagine themselves as some version of a superhero, um, and someone suggested doing so with the Book of Mormon, well, I never quite found the person in the Book of Mormon that represented who I would be, but I could easily imagine myself in the story going to Captain Mormon and saying, what role do you want me to play? What role do you want me to play? And I imagined all sorts of neat roles, like, do you want me to be the leader of this or leader of that? Or even with um, um, uh, Mosiah, who was the spiritual leader, okay, if you want me to just go work with him and I can be a spiritual leader. And the assignment, and this is, uh, I was talking to a bishop the other day and his question was like, why aren't you more religious about your stuff? And after explaining it to him, it made more sense to him because I told him the assignment they gave me was to be the spy, the scout, 
who sits on the edge of the Lamanite city and studies their methodology and studies the um, the thinking behind how they try to attack the Laman the Nephites and uh, uh, we hear all the time uh, Captain Rona and others using the term stratagem mm -hmm. in the scriptures and so stratagem means a, a complex intellectual a methodology for attacking and trying to destroy someone and when it occurred to me that um, you can't just think of your opponent as a bad guy with bad ideas to hurt you you have to think of him as an intelligent entity and with my sports background that was really not very hard I, I met wrestlers in my wrestling days who were really smart and used very carefully prepared techniques I, uh, I've studied football and soccer and baseball to look for the professional, highly intellectual approach to those sports, to uh, get some clues on how Satan might attack and how to respond to those attacks. And then when you study the gospel, and every time I think I've become a fanatic, like I'm going overboard, I just listened to another set of recent conference talks. Um, I believe it was just a year ago where there was like 60 references to Satan in one mm -hmm. weekend of general conference talks. Yeah. And I and I found them, and many of them are by President Nielsen. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, as uh, what Lloyd was referring to, I remember in those early years um, hearing my parents say, you know, some people have the return with honor thing above their door, and it's like, okay, Here's the forest, here's the Vietnam forest, it's really scary there, you're going to have people trying to kill you, return with honor. And it's like, can you give me an idea of how they might try to kill me? <laughs> well, they're going to try to kill you really bad, return with honor. <laughs> um, are they going to use blades, are they going to use guns, are they going to use bombs? All we know is Satan is mean, return with honor. <laughs> Like, even the word temptation was inadequate for my brain. Like, and so as you read through the Like Dragons book um, and all the Eternal Warriors principles, we break down the psychology of the experience of temptation into pieces so that you can actually understand what that is on a psychological level and you can catch it and respond to it with skill, precision, and strength and fortitude. And then you simplify it so an eighth grader can understand an it. Eighth grader can and understand apply it. it. That is so and amazing to me. Isn't that cool? It it's is. It's been so fun. So now, as a father yourself, how mm -hmm. do you, or how have you, introduced the principles into your family? Do do you use them at home? Do your children are your children familiar with them? How 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 does that work at your home? It's been interesting in my home and a little different because um, uh, I have no biological children of my own. Both of my kids are adopted. And one of my favorite things to shock people with is to tell them my son was born five months after I got home from my mission. It's kind of, <laughs> it's, it really, to teenagers, you get a real nice sauerkraut pickle face. Like, what? <laughs> or mothers, more there's mothers who send their sons on missions. They really... That really panics them as well. Like, wait, what? <laughs> but my son um, was um, was uh, born to my wife in her first marriage, and then I, I became his father when he was three years old. And many of this stuff, uh, um, 
um, was still formulating while I was raising him, and I got to learn a lot about it while he was raised, uh, being raised, and he had some unique difficulties and challenges to his brain, so I can't really say I was very successful at teaching these with him. Um, then 12 years later, um, we were able to adopt this cute little girl, and I was so busy for the first six years of her life just spoiling her. I didn't even think about parenting her. It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, I had all brothers. I was a knuckle dragger. I got this cute little girl in my house. You're supposed to parent her? Um, and then what happened over the next five years or so, she was a clever little girl, and she caught on to psychology really fast. And so um, she's still, she's 19 years old now, and um, if I try to use any technique with her, it doesn't work because she can keep up with me with her <laughs> psychology training. But what seems to have happened is over the course of the years with my kids specifically, the um, micro conversations um, and, and never underestimate the power of a two sentence lecture. Okay. Partially because the attention span of your listener, <laughs> they're like, they're like, wait a minute, you're going somewhere with this, and I like to go, I'm already done. I'm, I've had a, I'm, I have dropped it and walked away. You know, even um, uh, even the science of um, of uh, you know the people usually remember the beginning and the end of a conversation, and so if the beginning is one sentence and the end is one sentence, you've left your entire message in a short period of time. Um, but um, another uh, thing that I've learned is the power of the positive assumption. Um, this is one of the most amazing techniques. I've even heard uh, Lloyd's wife has is skilled at this one. Yes, she is. Um, yes, she is. Uh, the power of the positive assumption is anytime you want your child to learn something, you s describe it in a way as if they already know it. Let me give an example. Like, um, son, uh, you were on the, uh, you, you um, I was on the verge of reminding you to take out the garbage, but I remembered that you did not forget and you were <laughs> planning to do it in a few minutes anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to harass you about reading your scriptures, but you already have made time for that, haven't you? Okay. Um, I was going to bug you about saying your prayers, but you probably have already done them. Now, a lot of parents go, but what if I feel like I'm lying when I do that? Huh? I says, well, the technique allows you to bypass the defense mechanisms. And people want, want to say, um, well, yeah, yeah, I remember doing that. Um, if you ever want to experiment with this... Um, Try it on a teenage boy, that's the ones that works on the most, as you go, hey, I was going to remind you to take out the garbage, but I remembered that you don't need a reminder, and you were probably planning to do it anyway. And he's all, yep, yep, of course I was. And then he, like, <laughs> sneaks over and does it without, like, while you're not looking. Um, because people prefer. So, so with my kids, with my um, kids, I've done a lot of positive assumptions on principles. Like with my daughter, because she's so clever, I'll just say... I was going to teach you this principle about the chemical scale, but you already know it. She goes, yeah, yeah. So you already know that you're at a level two right now. She goes, of course I know I'm already at a level two. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I don't need to tell you what to do about it. So of course you don't need to tell me what to do about it. You already know how to do a flagpole. You already know what to do about it. She's all, well, yeah. So I've just done an entire conversation without her feeling lectured to. 
And there is the first part of our interview with Maurice Harker, founder of Life Changing Services. We wanted to let you know that if you wanted to hear more from Maurice directly, he has his own podcast called Memoirs of an LDS Therapist. And most episodes are only about three to seven minutes. And so it's easy to just pick up a little snippet, a little advice, a little tip from a very talented therapist. And most of the episodes have to do with helping your marriage. So they're really, really valuable. So we recommend that podcast to you. And we hope you'll join us next week for the rest of our interview with Maurice Harker. As always, you can reach out to us at Fathers Who Fight at LifeChangingServices.org. You can also leave a voice message, and there's a link to be able to do that in the show notes. Please take a moment to share the podcast with someone you think could benefit from it, or leave a rating and review. Of course, make sure you always click on that farthest star to the right. We appreciate your feedback and comments and questions, and we hope you have a great week, and we will be with you again next week on the next episode of the Fathers Who Fight podcast.